Welcome to Abiding Life Studios. I'm Noah Wells. Today I have with me Betty Wells. Howdy. How's it going? Good. Good. And we have Steve Reinhardt with us. Hi, Noah. Hi, Betty. It's great to be with you guys. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for coming to this. So we're doing something uh, I think pretty special. Mom's going to talk about it. Go ahead. Well, uh, it, it just came to my mind that it kind of tickled me because I remember when Mike first passed away in 2011, October 11th, 2011, that we had a, had a board meeting scheduled and we put that off for six months because we thought, you know, we'd be able to do it in six months. But in six months, we cried, <laughs> the whole board, we cried through the whole thing. So. Uh, <laughs> but this has been nine years now, and I think for for the anniversary celebration, not a celebration, but the anniversary marking of Mike's graduation to heaven, I wanted to give his testimony, and not that we glorify the man that we all loved, but we recognize how great our God is, and and all that he's done for all of us. We praise him for his many gifts and all the miracles he does for us every single day. And Mike was so funny and personable and a good storyteller that I really wish he were here to give this, but right. we will get through it the best we can. So Mike was actually born into a family um, with believers. Uh, starting with his Grandpa Wells that he was so very close to. And Grandpa Wells was raised in a family with lots of siblings, seven or eight, and four or five brothers. And they were all scrappy guys. If you messed with one, the whole town knew that if you messed with one, you messed with all of them. They were all very hard workers, but they were all drinkers too. And at least two, maybe three of those brothers died of alcoholism. Mm -hmm. But one time when Grandpa's um, daughter was pretty young, Homer may have been born, I don't know. They were seven years apart. But Grandpa was on a harvest crew, so he was out of the state. And the harvest crew just drank all night and started drinking again as soon as they got up in the morning. And uh, Grandpa was coming under conviction by the Holy Spirit, although he wouldn't have known that at that time, and getting dissatisfied with it all and missing his family, but he could not quit drinking. So finally, he just prayed and said, Lord, if you're real and if you will deliver me from drinking, I'll go back home and reclaim my position in the family. And to his surprise, <laughs> when he woke up the next morning, and the fellows passed the bottle to him. He said, no, no thanks. And he said, I'm going home. And he did. So that was his conversion experience. Um, he was always a crusty guy. And he couldn't say a single sentence without four-letter words. <laughs> but he loved very well. He had a heart of gold. Mm -hmm. He was Noah's favorite and Mike's favorite. Uh, and the, his faith in the Lord lasted all of his days. So Mike's dad then received Christ when he was 19. Uh, he actually got married when he was 19 also. Mike's mom was 15. And at age 19, Uncle Truman, who was his uncle on his mother's side, 
and uh, in case I said Grandpa Homer, now this is Mike's dad, Homer. It was real handy that they both had the same name. But anyway, um, at age 19, Homer talked to Uncle Truman and received Christ as his Savior. Mm. And then when Homer was around 22 and Mike was born, uh, he held infant Mike up to the Lord and gave Mike to him. And he, he talks about that still, how he did that. So Mike, as a youngster, uh, received the call of God into ministry. I don't know where or how I wish I would have asked, or I don't know exactly how old he was, but he was a child. But of course, he just ignored that call all his growing up years and just lived his life. He was not a subdued child. Some of my favorite stories of when he was a child was when he set his bathroom on fire and he had to go get his dad out of bed to come in and, uh, and see what he had done. And then he got mad as a neighbor man, so he set his tires on his trailer on fire out in the driveway. Uh, he always liked to fight, to box, and to wrestle. They said his asthma kept him from football, but he rode horses, he hunted, he drove tractors and the farm, uh, the farm vehicles at his grandparents' farm. I'm sure he was likable, as always. He had many friends, and his kindergarten or second grade teacher, I don't know which, picked him out of the class to be in her wedding. But Grandma and Grandpa Wells were the most stabilizing influence in Mike's life. But he was actually bonded to his grandparents from birth because his mother was 18 when she had him and she had gallbladder trouble during the entire pregnancy. She would roll on the ground in pain. So as soon as Mike was born, they whisked her off to have surgery. And it probably wasn't that easy of a surgery back then, 1952. Um, so he, he lived the first few months with his grandparents, and they, they were all completely bonded before he went back home. Uh, and he always felt like their home was his home. He would, growing up, he would beg to go see them, and sometimes Homer would say, all right, you can go see them, but I'm gonna spank you for going. And, home, and Mike would take the spanking just to go, just to go <laughs> see his grandpa and grandma. By age 12, he was working in Grandpa's gas station. And I just think it's very interesting for all of us believers to think of ourselves the years before we, before we were found by Christ, before we received Christ as Lord, and he revealed himself to us. Because we were ch his children all along and didn't know it. Mm -hmm. Also, one thing I neglected to say in my own testimony was how many people told me they'd been praying for me uh, during the time before I received Christ. After I, after I received Christ, they told me that they'd been praying for me. Mm. And that was definitely true for Mike, too. Uh, starting with his family, you know they were praying for him, and a lot of others also. So when Mike was a teenager, he got in a lot of trouble with his friends. I don't think we need to go into all that, but... 
uh, none of his friends that I know of lived to old age, and most of them died well before middle age. Greg Lagerberg was the last one of his friends from youth uh, who passed away two or three years ago mm. now. Uh, but it was true of both Mike and I, what Twyla Paris used to sing, I was so lost I should have died. But I'm sure that's true of a lot of us. Mm. Uh, Mike was popular in, as a team, but, but not with the teachers. He could not take his studies seriously. His guidance counselor told him that he should not go to college, he should learn a trade. So then I often wondered if the guidance counselor ever knew that Mike got his PhD and his THD. <laughs> but anyway, his parents would not pay for his college, but they had for his older sister. So um, off to college he went. Mike said he always had a temper before he accepted Christ too. Mm. And that's something I never witnessed because we met as one-year-old believers. Off to college he went, the first order of business was to join a fraternity because his sister's boyfriend encouraged him to do that. Mike had grown up fighting, boxing and wrestling and he wouldn't let anyone intimidate him. So in first semester, the freshmen were awakened in the middle of the night for a hazing and each one was taken down an aisle between the upperclassmen while the upperclassmen were beating on them. So Mike saw what was happening and he ran back to his room and loaded bricks in his pillowcase. And he, when he went through the aisle, he went through swinging and knocking them all down. So in the ensuing melee, he got thrown through a glass window from the second floor. The student health doctor was not happy that he had gotten awakened in the middle of the night to start with. Mike had a really serious uh, cut on his hand. And uh, when he found out why, uh, why he had to get up in the middle of the night, why there was this injury, he was even unhappier. So he stitched Mike's hand up with no anesthesia at all. And yes, Mike got kicked out of the fraternity first semester, but it wasn't for that, but you know, all things considered. Right now. <laughs> and then he was a hard worker. He was used to having money because he'd started working so young and he was working his way through college. Um, he unloaded freight at a trucking company all night long on the weekends. But before that job, he helped cook and wash dishes in a sorority house. And the girls there were praying for him and kept inviting him to go to the Bible study. They promised, finally, they said they promised a gift if only he would come. So finally he went, I'm sure he went late, and the gift was a Bible. But what happened was that night at the Bible study, he, he received Christ as his savior and he was born again. And he went back out, he was living in a lake house with another fella and he sat out on a rock all night by the lake, praying and crying and rejoicing. He knew that he'd come home to Jesus. And that was in September of 1972 
so he would have been 20. And I was in Oregon accepting Christ in September of 1972 as well. Hmm. And we always wondered if we accepted Christ on the same day. But we met at Kansas State University in 1973 as seniors and we got married in August of 1974. So we got married two years when we'd been Christians two years. When I first met Mike, it was obvious that he had been called to leadership. It was the Jesus movement time. So we would have some big meetings and he would have helped organize them and concerts and different things. Even pastors would ask him in the meeting to pray or give input. And so I was all, always more of the shrieking, shrinking violet type. So sitting by him was, uh, made me sweat because all eyes were looking <laughs> at us. But uh, of course, the Lord was preparing us to minister together and be together. So it wasn't a deal breaker. Uh, the sorority girls all had their eyes on him. But as God would have it, he chose me. Mike always said that he would rather burn out than rust out. And this he did. I think everyone would agree he did. Traveling, speaking, sharing, hugging and loving through exhaustion, illnesses, pain, and all the inconveniences of every type. He needed downtime between trips, but usually he didn't get it. Uh, everyone wanted a piece of him. So... How Mike came to understand the need for a moment-by-moment -moment abiding life in Christ was that when we graduated from college, his degree was in business, but he already knew he was called to ministry. And so after our first year of marriage, we moved to Tennessee with other young couples and our pastor who was moving there to work in an inner city church. And at that place, um, Knoxville, Tennessee, was a Bible college, Johnson Bible College, and Mike was getting his prerequisite Bible college hours there to get into grad school. He was working full-time while he was doing that, making belts, and our first baby had been born one year after our wedding, so we already had her. And... After the three years there, and he got his prerequisite Bible college hours, he, we moved to New Mexico, to, um, to Clovis, New Mexico, in Portales, Eastern New Mexico University at that time, had a master's program in Bible that was very good, and they organized the classes to just have them one day a week um, so that the, all the fellows could work regular jobs. Mm. And he full, worked full-time as assistant manager at a grocery store because he did have his business degree. Now, I remember one lady in his grad program disdainfully called him a maverick. And for many years, I was insulted at that impertinence and rudeness. But truthfully, I've come to think that no one can have as much effect when there is much needed change if they're working quietly in the system and going along with the status quo. So I know he had just whatever 
bent on things he needed to have from the Lord for what he was going to do. And both the Bible College in Tennessee and the grad school in New Mexico were excellent programs of study, but Mike really learned that knowledge puffs up and it's not the primary key element to ministering to people's deep need of Christ. And for his master's program, he had to memorize the content of every chapter in the Bible. And he knew firsthand that this did not lead to life, the living, flowing life that is found only in the presence of Christ. And it actually, for some time, made it difficult for him to read the Bible with joy. So after that, we moved to Kansas because he wanted to start a campus ministry at Kansas State University where we had gone to college. And his father's engineering company won the maintenance uh, bid on the federal building. So after Mike had cleaned, as long as nobody needed anything, he could sit in his office and read the deeper life authors, Watchman Nee, Andrew Murray, Fenelon, Hudson Taylor, E. Stanley Jones, a lot of them. And he also ran the campus ministry that he had founded in the evenings. So he also began his coursework for his PhD and his THD. But every day he would come home for lunch, excited about what he was reading and learning from all those authors. <laughs> and I, I would be like, can't he talk about anything else? But uh, uh, eventually our pastor in Manhattan took us down to Wichita to hear uh, Dr. Charles Solomon from Grace Fellowship International speak do a seminar and Mike just lit up listening to him and so he asked Charles Solomon if we if he could work there at Grace Fellowship and um, Chuck was always up for anything the Lord was doing and he said yes hmm. so we were actually talking about when the kids got grown up because uh, because we didn't want to move them anymore. But four months later, we were in Denver in 1985, and we were, uh, Mike was working with Dr. Solomon at Grace Fellowship International, which cemented his beliefs and his message of Christ, the living word within us, and helped him see the outworking of it all. And he began his international travel there, where the Lord spoke to him and told him that that would be his ministry. But eventually, uh, the spring of 1989, he founded Abiding Life Ministries International so he could do the things that he felt God was calling him to do. And the message that the Lord was refining in Mike continued to find its expression as he discipled, spoke, and wrote for 22 and a half more years until his physical death of a heart attack on October 11th, 2011. That is his testimony in a nutshell. Yeah, I, I, there's a lot of parts that I forgot about, so it's a nice reminder of him and all the things he accomplished. Steve, you got anything to add? No, it's what a great, what a great testimony. Uh, I loved hearing the whole 
thing from the time before he was born and his, um, you know, about Homer's, I know Homer, but I didn't ever meet uh, Homer's dad or Mike's grandpa, but I heard about him a lot. Uh, so it was great to hear about uh, that part of his history and family. And, um, and uh, I, I think one of the things that, um, well, a lot of things stand out to me and I have so many great memories of the time uh, since 89 because um, I didn't really know him. I didn't know him at all before that. So, but meeting once you guys moved here in Colorado, um, I, I have so many great memories. But I, but the idea that um, Betty, that you would kind of take a little bit of offense at him being called a maverick uh, back in New Mexico is kind of I, I kind of chuckled. Uh, but I, I would say, I would have done the same thing. Uh, but like you said, I, I really think and that was also part of, the, of what, how the Lord attracted me to Mike was uh, that he was about Christ. And uh, that is so, uh, it still moves me to think about that and, and hearing Mike talk and tell his stories. And he really was uh, in a way a maverick because uh, he wasn't building in his own kingdom. He was really about he was really about Christ, and uh, what a what a great way to be a maverick in uh, our world. And I'm just so uh, I'm still you know <laughs> deeply moved by that. And so um, it'll sound funny, but you know, honored to have uh, be able to rub shoulders and pray together and cry together and laugh together and, and tell funny stories about each other. Uh, with somebody who was a maverick and in such a bold and loving way. Uh, I'm just so grateful that you shared that part of the story because it's the part that I actually love. I love the maverick part of Mike uh, and being able to experience it firsthand. So even though it sounds kind of bad. <laughs> well, she said it in such an insulting way and that's <laughs> what stuck with me, uh, like there was something wrong with him. When the fact yeah. is, as you are saying, God intended him fully to be that way because he was going to do something different. He was mm -hmm. not cut from the cloth of being a church pastor, which is good for me. I would not have been a good church pastor's wife, I'm sure. But um, yeah, that's just the way it was. I, I had not thought about that woman for years, and the Lord brought it to mind when I was doing writing down the hmm. the testimony. So, yeah, it was nice yeah. to include. He he was a maverick, not a maverick from the Lord. He he, he knew his father all the time, but yeah, but he didn't follow men too much. Mm -hmm. He had a lot of mentors. That being said, he had a lot of mentors and people that he he drew material from like Arthur Burt and Alex. Oh, Alex Matthew, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, Eric Madison mm -hmm. in England. Mm -hmm. Now we shouldn't have started this because we'll leave someone out. And yeah. That's, that's not good, but. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's so, you know, that's kind of another the way he was a maverick is, uh, at least from my perspective, that he wasn't, uh, you know, he wasn't just following any one man. He was listening to the Lord and 
all of those guys and other people too, you know, the, all the different folks around the world uh, that are actually in the, uh, his book, you know, about the, about the saints is, uh, I think in some ways, and I think that's a, that was another cool thing about Mike was uh, he was listening to the Lord and through everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. And I think that's another interesting thing uh, that we all go through. Everyone we know puts fingerprints on our heart. And some people stay around a long time, some people go off, but regardless, everyone has put some fingerprints on our heart and mind. And yes, he, yeah. And and he got to have so many experiences with so many different people, the way he traveled, he knew and gained from a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, he sure did. Yeah, and I was just going to add, like, I was just sitting here thinking how he really did help me understand walking with Jesus. And, you know, he knew that I couldn't read well. And he really spent the time on showing me that God doesn't just live in the Bible. He lives in me. He walks with me. So I think that's what I probably miss about him the most is even when I was an adult, I would come and see him in Pueblo and he would look at me and go, let's go for a walk. Cause that's what him and I did so much. We went for a walk to find Jesus and to, I guess not find him, but see him, recognize him in so much. And, you know, he would always do that with me like, Oh, look at those leaves. What do, what do you see in Jesus and that? And I would, you know, I could see Jesus in that. And we would talk about that. So yeah, it, it's cool for me to see exactly, God knew exactly what I needed, and I needed a father like that that could see Jesus in so much more than just the Bible. And yeah, I definitely miss him a lot for that, and very grateful that he showed me that. That was a cool thing mm-hmm. about him anyway, that he could take prayer walks mm-hmm. if i go take a walk i'm just thinking about this and that but right. he could actually pray and he loved walking mm-hmm. every single day just to pray mm-hmm. mm. yeah, and I definitely, yeah that's cool i definitely grabbed the baton from him on that because that's what i do i love taking walks i love just talking to god the whole walk and seeing what god has for me in that walk so yeah that's beautiful to hear yeah, he was a special guy. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, or you guys? Yeah. So I had so Betty, I had another question uh-huh. for you. So, uh, so one of the things you mentioned was uh, everybody wanted a piece of him. Uh, you know, how was that for you? I people often ask me. Well, they used to often ask me. Um, how could I stand it that he traveled so much? How could I stand it that mm. the people wanted him? <clears throat> you know, and the true fact of the matter is that the Lord truly prepared both of us side by side for this ministry. And that didn't make me jealous. It didn't make me, of course, Mike was the type that did make me very secure in the relationship. But, mm. um, you know, it just was not an issue. Um, yeah, I was just curious how, you know, because I can imagine that could be hard for some people to, but like you said, you guys were prepared and, uh, 
really both of you were in the ministry and Mike was kind of in the forefront and the limelight, uh, but couldn't have done really, I wouldn't guess he could have really done anything without you um, being behind him and uh, being there, um, putting everything back together that was falling apart, I'm just guessing. Well, I did all the parts he didn't want to do, but uh, <laughs> but honestly, uh, those years when we had the office right in the home, whoever was helping me run the office, we would say, we knew that part of our job description was keeping people away from him. And that sounds terrible, but he mm -hmm. would never get anything done uh, otherwise. So <clears throat> also, I think Noah would agree with this. When Mike was home, he was really home. And he learned fairly early on to start turning the phone off in the evenings mm -hmm. because he was just never going to be with us otherwise. Yeah. And he didn't want that. And, you know, he might be gone for weeks, but when he got home, he was really home. We'd go on dates. He'd sit and talk to us. Mm -hmm. it, it, it worked. It worked for us. Yeah. Sorry, my phone was ringing. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's, um, and I, and I got to see that, uh, so yeah, it was, it was really cool how the Lord prepared you guys and, uh, gave you guys and your family such a unique relationship, uh, in, the and how you served the Lord and how he called you. It's really beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And still, and actually, and actually still is in. So I would, you know, like I would uh, continue on his testimony up through today and how even though he's not with us physically, uh, he's with us uh, in spirit and uh, his work and ministry and the message that uh, you, Betty and Mike, both received from the Lord uh, continues to go out and um, have that maverick effect on uh, each of us. Uh, to be able to focus on Christ and walk with the Lord in these really uh, insecure times. You know, if we're looking for security in the world right now, it's kind of evaporated. It's not there. And uh, to be able to turn to Christ and find he's still there. He's always there. He's never left. And no matter what we're going through, he's with us. Uh, and to sense that presence uh, I think um, that message that he's always there, he's that we, um, you know, really that there's nothing that that presence doesn't overcome. That's right. Uh, is is um, just as valuable and it's still, and you, you're still doing that work today. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. The message is still so relevant and people are very good to encourage us and say that, Mike's ministry is still going on. They mm -hmm. tell us that often. Mike's yeah. ministry is still going on. I appreciate that it, yeah. it, because it's true. And even right after he passed away, we knew that because he had left us the books and the tapes and the DVDs, you know, who better really to go off because we did have all that from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it seems like the message is um, not 
you know, Mike was uh, one of a kind a speaker and storyteller and a guy you could connect with, but uh, it seems like the message has gone um, and spread through all, all the rest of the folks that we that rubbed shoulders with him, lots of us, uh, and and kind of taken on a little different language maybe, uh, but the message is still the same mm-hmm. and still um, moving out through around the world, really. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Yep. Yeah. It's and great. you get and you guys, uh, you guys have kept the ball rolling. Well, I think it rolls us, but (laughs) Mike might be in heaven, but he sure keeps us busy still. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much, mom, for sharing that. I think that's, uh, I don't know when you told me you wanted to do it. I I was like, Oh, this is going to be cool. So I think it'll be cool for a lot of the listeners and thanks for putting the time into doing it. And thank you. Yeah. Well, and and just like one last thing, though, I was thinking about, uh, you know, before we started the podcast, we talked about like it's been nine years. Yeah. Uh, since like Betty said that Mike graduated or uh, entered heaven, and uh, it's just you know kind of I'm glad we're doing this uh, as a not maybe a memorial, but just recognition, you know, that that time's passed and. Uh, the message is still going on, and uh, and how much uh, we love and admire and appreciate Mike and uh, and what God's done through him. And like you were saying, Betty, to, uh, not to glorify uh, Mike, but to be able to see how God moves in us, weak and flawed and frail people, uh, and He actually does. So. Yeah. I'm just I'm just glad that you Betty brought that up and give us this opportunity to look at that and recognize you know how God calls us and lives through us yeah. and lived through Mike and uh, mm-hmm. just grateful to be able to participate in that yeah. life. Yeah, and one kind of funny thing was right after he passed away, I told. Mike's dad that Mike had always so admired couples that died around the same time Mm. because he felt like, you know, they'd really lived their lives together and, and he just loved that. And so I told his dad, well, either I'm not going to live as long as I thought I was going to live, or I've got a big surprise coming for me. (laughs) (laughs) But here it's been nine years. Like he said, it's been nine years. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad you have had this surprise for you. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Uh, although it might have been more enjoyable for you to be with Mike, uh, uh, I'm thankful you're still alive and with us, and uh, get to see Christ in you and experience His life through you. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to miss it. Mm. Well. It wasn't too long, within months after Mike passed away, I realized what a privilege it is to be a widow because God truly does move in and take take up the need. And mm. so 
we know him in ways widows know him in ways other people don't just mm -hmm. like a lot of other people know him i just told someone the other day because she suffered so much and mm -hmm. i said you know god in ways i don't know him mm -hmm. because i'm healthy uh you oh. know so it's not better than anyone else but it is a privilege it is a privilege to be a widow i would just as soon be in heaven with mike too yes but never mind <laughs> I, and i know that's not a sin to yearn for heaven At, uh, i had to learn that it's not a sin to yearn mm -hmm. for heaven it's normal for us that is our home but we want to stay here just as long as the lord wants us yes i'm writing down a couple things uh, uh i think that you've given a, a couple of great ideas for doing podcasts betty and and so one would be uh, like the privilege of being a widow because like you said i i don't know what that's like and i don't know how you know that privilege but i'd love to hear about it from your perspective yes uh, and I'm, I'm sure other, have, other yeah i could have a couple other yeah we could have a couple other widows too on it mm -hmm. pretty cool yeah that would be uh, i would like that and and then the other thing you mentioned that it's uh, you know it's not a sin to yearn for heaven i think that would be another a great idea for a podcast to be able to dive into that because probably some of us mm, think it's a sin to yearn for heaven or a sin to well, want to stay here on earth but it would be cool to hear your hear you about that i'd love okay. to hear that that would be excellent because i think i don't know that it is specifically taught in churches but i run into that attitude a lot that mm -hmm. that you can't yearn for heaven you're supposed to be working here doing what the lord wants you to do here and enjoy this so mm -hmm. you can actually yeah, do great. both things but yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that'd be great i'd love to hear about that okay great all right we'll plan that at some point thank you steve for just everything steve's really uh, he really <laughs> I don't well, know what you want to call it. Steve was one of Mike's best friends, so it's it's nice to have him on here. Yes, it is. And after Mike died, you've you've stepped up and really yes, been, you stepped been up with us and yeah. helped us so much. And I just want to say thank you for that. Uh, thank you for uh, giving me a privilege uh, and uh, letting me move into your life and world. And I'm just so grateful. I mean, I've. I loved living with Mike and you, Betty, and uh, and Noah. Even before your dad passed away, you and I were close friends, and mm -hmm. um, so I'm just I'm just grateful, and I'm, and I'm grateful to not like all of Mike's other friends who are dead. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I get that I was I wasn't one of his boyfriend boyfriends like with Greg Lockerwood, but uh, yeah. I'm happy to be here. Living with you guys. Yeah. It's and, uh, ones that grew up with him, honestly. Mm -hmm. They just fell out early. Yeah. 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 But yeah, well, thank you, Steve. Thank you so much. Thank you, Betty, for doing that. And thanks for the listeners. So we'll do another one soon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>